0: Your Mind, the podcast about soccer, mental toughness, and life. I'm your host, Brandon Stone, and today's guest is Chris Shambrock. Did I pronounce that right? Shambrook? Yeah,
1: you did. Shambrook, that's it. Shambrook? Okay. Good to see you, Brandon.
0: Chris is the author of the game, you all can see it here? Soccer the Mind Game? Kind of hard to see with the filter, Uh, which is... A book that I've used, it's in such bad shape because I've used it with all the work that I've done as a mental skills coach, it's all been based on this. So, this is like my Bible. So, I'm talking to the author of the Bible. Um, Chris has a, a doctorate degree in sports psychology. He's worked with the British Olympic rowing team, he's worked with Premier League soccer teams. Tell me about yourself, Chris.
1: Uh, yeah, so um, I, I guess. Uh the phd was 25 years ago now uh, which seems like a long time ago soccer of the mind game that that book came out in 2004 so that was after i'd started working uh, i'd been lecturing as a university lecturer after getting my a, a prof uh, getting my phd so i did started that in 1996 what university uh, university of brighton in the brighton. uk so um, so I, I was lecturing there, I was, but then I was doing applied sports psychology work whilst lecturing as well. So I was working in the very English game of cricket. Um, relatively early on, I got the role with the British rowing team, uh, which was great. So I got, I got a role with an Olympic sport that, post-Atlanta 1996, the only gold medal that the British, the whole of the British team won was in the rowing. Uh, we had a disaster in the Atlanta games. Um, but then I, I you know, I, I got on board at a good time where loads of funding came into Olympic sport. Um, so I was lecturing on sports psychology degrees. I was doing applied sports psychology work. Uh, 2000, 2001. I had a season that I worked with Sunderland Football Club, who were in the Premier League at that point, but they are now. Um, they're not. They've not quite retained that status. Not that that was anything directly to do with me, I don't think. But uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, t- some some work in soccer, carried on the work with rowing, but also doing work in other sports alongside. So I've worked with a Premier League Championship goalkeeper during a decent part of his career, uh, and lots of ongoing work in coach education and other sports, but the kind of five Olympic Games with the rowing team was, was, was the thread of most of the sports psychology work that I did.
0: And growing up, did you play sports?
1: yeah i did I, play, I played a lot of but i i was one of the typical english kids growing up who was pretty decent at, at, at soccer and I, and I you know played a lot i i scored a lot of goals i played representative level quite high uh, i was part of a kind of a early day academy in a in a local professional team it was you know the the Cambridge united who are sort of currently in the uh, division two uh, that at that time they were equivalent of championship i was it was in a kind of school of excellence there for a while although i school of excellence feels a little bit too sort of you know elevated for what it was so i played i played a lot of soccer growing up and then when i went to university um i i played and coached basketball um oh. so the the varsity setup in 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 the uk is great so i i actually ended up um coaching the the women's varsity team while i was playing for the men's team but honestly it's nothing like the but the ncaa in the states <laughs> you don't get any crowds there's no there's nothing around it it's it's literally like a high school team not even that big you know gotcha. um, but i played and coached a lot of basketball um and uh and then that that took me into studying my sports science degree while i was doing that and then i moved into my my phd after that as well what made you
0: choose sports psychology to get into?
1: Yeah, I, I, it was really fascinating. You know, for me, looking at a lot of talented people, there was a lot of great stuff on my degree, looking at the physiology and the fitness side of stuff, biomechanics, looking at the technical side. You know, that objective measurement was really great. But whenever we were doing experiments to try and look at, you know, how people were reacting physically or technically, there was always the sense that, you know, It's dependent upon how someone's showing up mentally, you know the 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 differentiated effort, the motivation, the focus, and and it just fascinated me more and more to try and understand the unmeasurable bit of that whole setup. You know, it's great in physiology, you know, getting the you know get getting the sort of uh, oxygen levels and sort of getting blood measures. You can measure that stuff. Yeah, you get a number. You get it. Yeah, yeah. I really liked the. The fact that you can't really measure this but it's obviously something critical to pull everything together um and and so you know we were able to select in the degree program uh, across the different sciences so I, i kind of opted for an option to study the the psychology element in my final dissertation and that just got me on a roll and and i got more and more interested in it read more around it um saw more things happening that fascinated me at the time um and yeah, and, and, and actually had a pretty good aptitude because I'd been coaching a bit as well. Mm-hmm. That was helping me as well realize the importance of the relationships, the communication, the clarity of messaging, you know, the, the building of confidence individually and collectively. It, it just felt that that was a good way to kind of continue and specialize.
0: And when you started it, um, I assume it was a relatively
1: new field. Uh, yeah, so um, so I, I kind of was. If, if we look back historically, so uh, Steve Bull, who co-authored the book with me, Steve had been uh, working as a sports psychologist. He'd studied over in Canada, came back over to the UK in 1987, 1988, um, and then sports psychology was starting to take off in the UK. I think if we look at Canada and the U.S. system, there was probably sports psychologists attending the Olympics 1984, 1980, but it was still growing. The U.K., it was definitely, um, uh, you know, there were professional bodies opening up in the early 1990s. The British Olympic team were consistently starting to take psychologists with them to the Games. Um, But it wasn't, uh, you know, in in any way, shape or form, a, a really mature discipline and and in some ways we're kind of still you know not not really consistently embedded in the same way across every sport that exists in the country the psychology is still very much an opt-in for a lot of sports
0: what was that like trying to shape that as you go playing Ah. kind of shooting from the
1: hip yeah yeah uh, yeah i don't know about shooting from the hip but you know what, what i found out pretty quickly was some of the senior sports psychs, so there's a great, great guy, uh, American sports psych called Ken Revisa, who unfortunately passed away for the last year. But Ken came over and did some great education. He'd worked a lot in baseball. He shared a lot of messages with, with us um, through the British Olympic Association of Psychology Group. And Ken talked about, you know, what he'd noticed about great coaches, that, that they never apologize for saying the same thing over and over. Um, which was great because as psychologists, you kind of always think, I've got to come up with something new. I've got to be different. And, you know, you want to get on and be doing more, but actually you just need to keep selling the basic ideas of why your knowledge and expertise is going to make a difference. Cause you know, you're the only one who thinks it's that important. You've got to keep selling it. So, so it was, it was, you know, exciting and frustrating in equal measure to be trying to grow it because you're thinking, there's this great thing that you can make a big difference with, but I have to keep selling it new to everybody. I'm yep. not getting buy-in from everywhere. So, so it was, um, it was good. But also, where you got good relationships, there was a good opportunity to trust was built. You were able to do some good applied work, and you know, very quickly you learn to kind of ignore the textbook way of doing it a little bit more and, fi- and find the art rather than the science in terms of the way of getting. The learning and the messages across as well so i kind of you learn learning as you go in the same way that the coaches and athletes are always learning as they go as well so it was kind of um, yeah, cool to step into that space
0: was there ever a moment when you were like this is magic this works Like <laughs>
1: so um there, there were a couple of times early on where i got to present and i was kind of sandwiched between some people who had played at a very high level actually you know players had retired and i was then presenting the psychology of them them having talked about you know their their professional experiences and i thought this follows really well and i can and the story joins up beautifully and i can't believe that you know i'm following this person and this this person's sort of coming after me so that felt good because there was you know and it you know it, it felt in the right place and then there, there, there's other times as well where pretty quickly you learn that it it doesn't work, but you get good acceptance from people. So the Sydney Olympics, I was working very closely with one crew that ended up getting a gold medal. And I was working very closely with one crew doing very similar stuff. who didn't even make the final and ended up, they, it was just trying to hang on and salvage some kind of respect at the Olympics. And, you know, but equally talented people, equally sort of, you know, passionate about what they were doing, similar kind of conversations, but a very different context. You kind of go, okay, well look, the psychology alone isn't the magic. It's obviously part of it. So it's it's quite humbling as well as exciting at the same time.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like uh, having, having a good team, but without a good coach.
1: Yeah. Yeah, also, yeah, and, and yeah, and so, and sometimes you'll get a great team that will really pull together because you know the coach, that the the coach is able to remain distant because the team's got its own thing going on. Other times it's it's totally everyone's together and it feels like coach and players on the field together. And other times you've got a great coach that's delivering a great coaching performance, but somehow it's not quite gelling in the team to to make the most of of you know the the coach's expertise. And, you know, so it's. It's getting the bits of the jigsaw lined up. And, and, and that's where, you know, I guess, in, in, in sport, you, you just learn to keep curious about, you know, how can, how can we just keep it moving forward? Whether it's broken or amazing, what do we do to take the next step forward? Because that's always the challenge. That, that, you know, ultimately, the scoreboard isn't going to stop you still trying to get better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Tell me about the process of writing the book, Soccer the Minion.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm trying to remember back now, because was a long time ago. I was I was just just uh, uh, having sort of food with the family as well, and I was I was just talking to my wife and saying, well, you know, when when was that? When did it happen? And uh, and my my eldest daughter, who's now 16, I do have a photograph of her on my lap while I'm typing, um, so I know she was very young at that point. Um, but the the process was was pretty clear. Steve, the co-author, Steve had. Um, authored quite a few sports psych books in the past. He and I had co-authored The Mental Game Plan with John Albinson from Canada as well. Um, Steve had done another book with uh, the publishers, the Crowwood Press, and they were looking for a book that they thought was kind of going to be, be good for them. They thought soccer, good good opportunity to get into that. I'd done some of the, I had a, the soccer background. I'd done some of the premiership work. So, So basically, Steve and I kind of, Designed the steps in the book and kind of talked about how do we how do we want to put the steps together and what are the key ingredients? Um, Steve did a lot of the kind of bigger picture thinking getting people who were going to read it and look at it beforehand as well as sort of making sure that everything flowed. And and then I got into the detail of writing the specific chapters pulling some of the practical side of it together so that I was able to put the, the soccer specific knowledge in there. And Steve was able to make sure that we were kind of following the right kind of psychology path as well, so it was uh it was good so lots of backwards and forwards between writing chapters uh, uh and and him sort of you know having thoughts and throwing them in as well so it kind of built over the course of a few months and I, and I think it was sort of about a, a six month process of working together like that so that we got it to the point of getting it off to the the publishers but um it, it was it was it was actually good fun just to be able to sort of look at it through a very specific sport lens because the other ones we'd written a general sports cycle. they so actually coming into the right. Okay, what does a coach want? What do the players want? What's, what's going to be the things that potentially we know are belief systems in, in soccer that maybe aren't that helpful? So I particularly like the penalty taking sort of bit that we have in there as well about, you know, getting your mindset around um, penalty shootouts or taking penalties as well. Um, because, you know, particularly coming from England, where we've sort of failed in many penalty shootouts in major tournaments. So it was. Uh, I felt that, you know, trying to do something of value there as well. Um, but, yeah, so that was a process, a bit of a collaboration, my, my sort of soccer knowledge and, and, and our creativity together kind of helped put the steps together. Did it have a lot of good feedback? Um we, yeah, certainly from the, the 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 publishers, they 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 pushed a lot of stuff out quickly. They quickly wanted to get it sort of on sale in the states as well. So that was good from our point of view that they 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 knew there was an audience out there as well. Um, uh, the goalkeeper that I ended up working with that was absolutely as a direct result of him picking the book up and really liking it and seeing the contact details in the back and kind of saying I want to do some of this, you know, bring it to life and make it better. And he's he's now a goalkeeping coach and. Uh, uh, really, you know, really thorough professional, really good guy. Um, and, and so, you know, that was that for me, that's good feedback when someone picks it up and then wants to actually do some stuff in the same way that you, when you got in touch with us as well, it's kind of, well, great. You know, this, this is, it, it's not necessarily quantity it's quality of feedback as, as always.
0: Let's talk about that. So I, we're in yeah. 2020 now. It was about two years ago. I, mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, looked in the contact info and googled their names and found yeah. contact info and emailed them and uh, was like, Can I use this information? Um, am I allowed to? Do I have to pay a royalty? What's the deal? And they're like, Just give us credit for it and uh, you have our blessing. And yeah, so I've yeah. used it thoroughly with the college team, Roger State University, with the players. Um, I d- gave talks about the chapters, I broke the Mm -hmm. chapters and, and, you know, split them into talks and so talked about motivation, goal setting, um, yeah, dealing, uh, playing more as a team. Um, yeah, dealing with nerves, visualization. Um, and I don't know if I told you, but they just won the conference championship last year for the first time in the program's history.
1: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, you. and that's it. So, yeah, if, you know, if it's part of the mix as well, there's a lot of other magic going on there as well. But, you know, it's, it's, always, it's always good when it's part of a good you know, good news story as well. And that's, you, you mentioned the motivation bit in there as well. And I particularly like that bit in the book of sort of, you know, just kind of going, yeah, you know, break, but break your targets down and make sure that you've got that pathway between the why, what and how goals and making sure that there's a real sense of, you know, where, where are we actually looking to get to? what are some of the measures along the way, but how do we want to be playing and what are some of the kind of process goals? That, that stuff's just so helpful to get the balance across all of those because I guess, personally, we've each got a preference for which one of those dominates. Some people like the, you know the end goal more. Some people like to measure stuff along the way. Some people like to get into the day-to-day challenge of getting better at a particular skill or part of the game. But if we only have the one we miss the power of the whole story being joined together as well. And when you've got that individually and collectively in a team, that's when you start getting the whole being greater than the sum of the parts. You've got, you've got a team game plan as well as individual desire to contribute from your, you know, with your shirt number on the back of it. Okay. what you know, how am I going to make a difference to our game plan and the players around me? Yeah, I
0: think that's, that was very important for the team too. And, um, I think the one of the biggest, most important parts of the book, and most helpful, I believe, was the, um, the, the not the confidence planner, but the uh, the assessment.
1: Um, yes. Getting yeah. a
0: getting a good assessment of what you're good at, and what you're not good at, and making a definite game plan to improve the things that you're not so good. Yeah.
1: And the byproduct
0: of that is you'll have more confidence, just yeah. knowing that you're working on your weaknesses.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if, you, if, we, if we think at you know, great American sports psychologist, Tim Galway, you wrote, in a game, in a game of golf, in a game of tennis back in the 1970s. Galway always talks about performance equals potential minus interference. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, the game plan a lot of the time is, right, what can we do to maximise potential and get the strong things and keep them getting stronger? But then there comes a point where we want to say, where, where's the interference? Can we reduce some of that? And what do we need to do to just sort of balance that out? And so we push the potential as high as possible and then bring the interference, you know, reduce the interference. And you end up with that very solid confidence because even if you're going to have a bad day, it's not going to be a terrible day. And if it's going to be a great day, you're really excited by how good it will be. But when you've got the gap is small that, 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 you know, you're not worried about having a bad day. You are just kind of ready to you, I, I I like the combination of do you rise to the occasion or sink to the level of your preparation, and, and if you're working on both, you're trying to rise to the occasion and you trust yourself to sink to the level of your training. Again, it's just that extra confidence. Well, you know, even if it goes bad, it's not going to be terrible today, right? Let's yeah, if see you've how done the work. Yeah, let's see how good we can make it.
0: If you've um, been if you've been preparing and doing your homework.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've got a um, uh, there's a I've got a Eric Cantona book up on the bookshelf there, and so, you know, it was a great great player, great great individual in in many ways. But there's a there's a lovely quote in there, and he talks about preparation is everything, focus is the key. It's easy to say you gave it all on the pitch out there, but the thing is, if you prepared better, you'd have had more to give, and you'd have played better. So there's that whole thing of you know you, your performance is a reflection of the quality of your preparation so if you want to be confident do the hard yards and then enjoy the opportunity to go and play with freedom in the knowledge that you kind of you know you've given yourself the best chance of having a good day true true what's one of your
0: personal favorite techniques to use with players with um, soccer players specifically
1: well yeah I, so it's it's interesting so you know across all of the sports that i've worked with there, there, there tends to be a lot of similarities across all athletes from all sports, um, where where it comes to, you know, the opportunity to get into that balanced confidence position. So confidence building is, is probably the most enjoyable area that I work with and helping people really understand, you know, am I doing everything possible to make my confidence level as robust as possible? So I'm, I'm usually, I usually like working with, players around okay you know have you really given yourself the best chance of knowing that your confidence isn't going to drop hmm. so if we've got a really good picture of your strengths your skills the qualities you bring to the team when you're playing at your best how it feels that then particularly from a from a soccer perspective i've always liked working on the first 5 minutes So what are you going to do in terms of your strength, foundation and your confidence? How do you warm up and get the get? You know, you're starting the game when you want the game to start, not when the referee blows the whistle. So we're getting going in the build up. We're doing the things that's reinforcing all of our strengths, all of our positive qualities. We've then got the momentum going so that when the whistle blows, we're looking at bringing that energy into the first pass, the first tackle. The first um, communication to your teammate, the body language, you know, you, you go in looking to create the story of the start of the game because we know so much can then open up from there. Um, so I always like that as a right. let's take control of the story early on by really focusing on if, if we're sort of, you know, filming the first five minutes. How are we going to see you engaging? How are we going to see you playing? What's, what's it going to look like? How are you going to feel? What's going to be going on? And if we can do that, then that provides a very, very clear reset point for any time in the game. So if we get a break in play and it's not going well, I can reset back to that first, first pass, first tackle mindset. After half time, I can reset back to that. Gives a very, very consistent way of imposing your best self on the game rather than waiting for the game to happen to you to see how well you play. That, 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 for me, I think, particularly if you can get that going through a team, that's when you start getting the energy of the players imposing collectively on the opposition as well. They know it's going to be a tough game from the outset. And, you know, starts from that individual confidence. And, and, and I really like that as a, you know, let's give ourselves the best chance. We're prepared. Now let's go perform. Let's, let's see how good we can be.
0: That's poetry to my ears.
1: <laughs> cool. <laughs> good. Good to hear. But it's it's the practicality of it as well. You know, I, it's it's always interesting listening to post match interviews in the Premier League, and you know, a lot of players will tell you the story of what happened. So even some of the best players in the world, they'll still come back and they'll still tell the interviewer the story of what happened. So we know we watched it as well. What I want to know is what were you intending to do? And how well did you actually make that happen? How satisfied are you with executing the game plan that you'd worked so hard on in the build up? You know, don't tell me the ref was terrible. Don't tell me this was a bad decision. Tell me how professionally did you turn your game plan into a performance that looked like what you'd wanted it to be? That's interesting. And yeah. now you've got now, you know, and now you've got somewhere to, you know, really, really get into. I'm not particularly interested in you know, football players' ability to tell a story after, about the game after it's happened. You know, that that's not going to be a winning uh, winning mindset ingredient. They're not a
0: sports commentator.
1: No, no, no. And, you know, we've all seen it. <laughs> and, as, and as fascinating as your interpretation is, I still want to know how well did you do what you set out to do. Um, that's far more powerful.
0: What's your biggest advice for a team that just had a really tough loss
1: to – uh, well, so that, so that's, that's been, you know, in terms of the psychology practice, I'm working through Olympic sports as well, where you've got to qualify a year out and all that stuff. The, the, the winning and losing is, is very much kind of, you know, it, it, it's, it's not helpful, it's a distraction. What we want to do is set up really good preparation practices, really good on-field play, and then really good evaluation and learning practices. So whatever the score, whatever the results, we will evaluate our performance based upon what was our game plan that we set out? How well did we bring that to life? Where did we do it excellently? Where was it not so straightforward? um, Did we learn, did we try anything new and do anything different? Did we surprise ourselves? Right. Let's do all of that. Oh, and by the way, what was the score? If you can get into the practice of world-class evaluation of your performance relative to your game plan, when you have a big win or a big loss or, a, you know, an excellent performance where you didn't win or a terrible performance where you did win, all of those things become irrelevant because you're evaluating the, the momentum of are we able to keep playing to our potential and executing on our game plan? Because if we can do that, more often than not, we are going to get the results. And if we do have to bounce back, we'll know how to bounce back from something as well. So, so the win-loss stuff, that's sport prepare for that. Don't worry about being different. You have to do stuff differently when you lose and you win. You don't, you have to be strong enough to carry on with the same discipline and maybe change tactically or, you know, just, just rethink things, but you shouldn't need to do anything different. It, it, you know, that, that's what I try and uh, allow people to, you know, build extra confidence from that as well. So you, you, you end up not fearing a result you end up knowing that you'll be able to respond and move on, whatever the score. That's really hard for
0: college age and younger yeah. kids to do. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah absolutely. They get but so they, focused and obsessed with the yeah. scoreboard. Yeah, and, and, so, and so that, and you can really build on that because you can kind of say, right, okay, um, what are the things that we want to put next to the scoreboard? So the scoreboard's really important and we're going to put our own scoreboard next to it. So they're always going to be balanced. So as, as many times as we look at the, the game scoreboard, we're going to look at our own ratings as well. So you know, you know that um, in, in time, you'll get the chance to persuade them that the more we look at our own scoreboard, the better the other scoreboard's going to be as well. So, so I, I'd, I'd use it to your advantage. It, it's, it's an and rather than a, an either or. And, and we work the two together. And I'd make a deal. If I was the coach, I'd be going right. It's my job to be looking at our scoreboard. If you want to look at your scoreboard and bring that, great. But then we have to swap from time to time. Yeah, and 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 we can work together. And if we work together, then we'll we'll have both the the, the result and the performance covered between us as well. And that you know you can you can really you know um, contract on that kind of stuff and make it clear because you want their hearts and their minds in the game. Being driven by whatever motivational fuel that they've got. Um, and you want to be on the sideline, being able to appraise, take stock, be able to sort of, you know, make the right decisions and support them in the right way as well. So it kind of, you know, feels to me it's just making some of that relationship explicit and clear and, and challenge each other to play those parts really well.
0: Yeah. So, one, well, basically. Stay more focused on the process versus in the results.
1: If you can't balance it out, you know, it's, it's competitive sport. You know, the reason we all get involved is because we want to, we want to have the winning and we're competitive people. Yeah. But, but it's, it's making sure you recognize the story that always goes outcome and process process and outcome, always the two together. If we just get one or the other, um, it can go the wrong way. So for first race of the Sydney Olympics for the men's eight who won a gold medal that they, they rode their race and they looked beautiful. Their technique was lovely. And the coaches ripped into them afterwards because they hadn't raced. Technically, the process was beautiful, but they'd forgotten to have the heart and the energy of this is the Olympics, you know, get some of that raceability in there as well. So, you know, you can go to process in the same way that you can go to outcome. And it's always getting the, the two together, which is the most important thing. Interesting.
0: What advice would you give for a player who deals with anger on the field in any um, sport
1: yeah so so I, I, I guess you know so, some of some of that is a challenge for some players and and um, you, you'd look at understanding what some of the triggers are um, and, and I'd want to get into you know what's triggering that what's getting in the way of that and sort of what, what's lead, what's leading to the trigger of the anger in the first place often it, it's you know Excessive frustration building up. There's some kind of goal that they've set themselves that they're being blocked, or they've got a very clear value system that is being kind of, you know, uh, sort of wronged in some way. But you want to get to the heart of that. Um, but in in reality, what, once we've understood the, the the basis, what's triggering the anger, we'd start having some clear conversations around practicing alternative responses. So one, we are trying to stop the anger coming up in the first place. But two, we'd try and put in some some other choice points. Um, it's really difficult, though, when the red mist comes down for some players. Um, yeah. Which which is why for them being able to recognise early cues of the red mist coming in, you want to try and be able to sort of teach them early so that they can sort of reduce the red mist building up. It's if if the red mist gets too high, it's often difficult to step away from that kind of amygdala hijack that takes place, and you're just kind of in that rage space, and you know you're not you're not going to get in in there. Um, but but you know there, there are various ways in which you can use mental rehearsal to help someone look at those different scenarios and then and then put in a different response. Um, there might be some particular ways in which you get them someone else to buddy up with them and, and you'd practice together if one of the other players sees it happening you know they've talked about what's going to happen so they're not just they're not just dealing with it on their own as well. It, it becomes a little bit of a collaboration with someone else um, but, but in the same way that if someone is you know, who gets on a roll and they, you know, they really, you can see them getting into the zone. How, how do we keep, how do we keep them doing the good stuff? You know, do we collaborate around that? Again, we try and see the upside. How do we get more of that as well as how do we reduce the downside, but make it maybe a a, a team thing as well. And providing they recognize it's happening and, you know, um, causing an issue.
0: How would you go about selling visualization and mental rehearsal to the players that, don't they're like yeah that's cool but they don't actually do it
1: yeah yeah um I'd, i'd ask them if they enjoy watching themselves back on uh on screen um and i would start there um i would talk to them about well look let's get you a personal highlight film you know uh or actually if there is you know uh if we're working on a particular technique can we get some footage of players they really admire and can we get them sort of looking at, and can we string a few sort of, you know, uh, a few frames together of, of, of great players working on that technique? And, and I'd, I'd encourage them to kind of view that regularly and just let me know what happens when they're kind of viewing themselves or viewing other people. Next step, I'd then start talking about, well, look, let, let's see if we can make it a bit more than just viewing. What, you know, what do you think they're saying to themselves? how would it feel if you were actually in that film in their body? What would you be feeling? What would you be feeling? What would you notice in your, in, in your foot that's being placed next to the ball? What would you notice as you felt the, the ball strike? How does your balance feel? I'd start talking to them about getting inside the film and then being able to notice what extra that gives them. And then I'd pretty quickly couple that if I could do, whether it's on an iPad or a phone if we could kind of go from watching that to then actually going and practicing some, I'd be using light, you know, I'd be trying to make the mental rehearsal very active to then get to the point to say, Hey, look, it might be worthwhile doing some of this when you're at home. So we don't need to always follow up with the, with the, you know, the direct practice yourself, go and do me, you know, 20, 20 reps of practice this evening. Um, watch, watch the film, get inside it, and then do some in your own mind and see if you can do that and let's see what difference it makes. Um, so I'd, I'd be trying to sort of make it practical and very direct and specific for them. Um, and that goes back to the PhD. So my PhD was how do you get people to stick with psychological skills training? Because mm-hmm. you know, people kind of like the idea, but you know, they, they'd, they'd rather get a new pair of boots that feels great um, I've got to go oh yeah i 've got my 've got my lucky boots now it 's all I needed yeah um, you know, they've got this sweet thing on them that's going to make me strike the ball better, yeah, you could practice as well you know <laughs> Don't just wait for the for the for the new cleats to do it, get in there and actually kind of you know um get get in there and do some mental rehearsals so but making it practical is 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 the key i think
0: it's funny to say that I remember me as a kid, like the power of having those models, those idols. Yeah, and thinking that oh, as soon as I put those cleats on those those Nike cleats on, I'm going to be just yeah. like this person. Yeah, and it's just like
1: yeah, and that and that's really good. Yeah, and that's really good because if we can take some of that kind of what, what's then the embodied feeling? What do, how do I want to then change the body language? How do I want to change the intention? What's the self talk that I have? Yeah, I've I've often I've often thought it would be really great if you could get a player to have an earpiece in and then for a really great player to take over the self-talk mm. and, and then feed in that, you know, instead of their brain being the thing that's taking right, let's get, let's get the brain of a great player in there. What would be the kind of things that they're saying to themselves? What, what are they kind of recalling and how would that help someone just recognize the power of your own intentional thinking, your own communication uh, you know, it would be great to have some of that, just to realise. Well, okay, am I being my own best supporter in my head? Am, am I am I really becoming as skillful in how I communicate with myself as, as as skillful as I am with how I strike the ball or make the tackle?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, so so that's some some ideas like that would be great to play with, and I guess we've nearly got the technology.
0: It's definitely a tug of war inside your head against. Yeah, yeah. your your fan and your <laughs> worst. Thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. The supporter and the kind of worst critic as well going on. Yeah, so you know and that's uh, and, and uh, you know uh, there's there's lots of Olympic champions I know who are hugely driven by a fear of failure, but they've worked out how to embrace it and use it rather than thinking I shouldn't think negatively, I shouldn't be worried about failing. They actually use it as a driver and a and a, a, a stimulus. Um, so the tug of war in the head you can turn the volume down on that quite a lot by saying, what am I saying and how might it be helpful? How can I turn that into a helpful action rather than I shouldn't think that. And as soon as you can start, yeah, as soon as you can encourage people to kind of go, there's a good intention there. You've just got to follow through with it because that thought alone isn't going to be the thing that does it, but the action that follows it might well be.
0: The, uh, thing that reminds me of that there is a quote some guy who he had started to run marathons and like he did tons of I can't remember his name though but he said the biggest difference of why when he started doing that was that he started talking instead of listening yeah started talking to himself and being proactive about what he said versus just reacting to that voice that was criticizing him all the time
1: yeah yeah And, and, and that's that that's a really very practical one. i get you know again just following that same line of thinking I'm, I'm not particularly big on on positive thinking what i am big on is positive action what whatever thought has gone before it so if i've had a negative thought and i've worried i can i can then use that to stimulate taking a positive action that will stop that thing happening um if i have a positive thought i can then have a positive action that follows me through on that pathway but a lot of us might have a positive thought that we just assume the positive thought is going to be enough. And then many of us have a negative thought that we believe is the end of the story. So it's not the positive and negative thought. It's how we have the conversation and, you know, and continue it. What's the action that it stimulates? And if you, can have a, you know, if you can have a team full of players who are looking to take positive action, regardless of whether the thought has been positive or negative, again, you, you'll get much more quick decision-making shared decision-making much more joined up play you've got people using their motivation rather than worrying if they're thinking the right way and soccer is a you know it's a fast enough game as it is without people having to worry about whether they're thinking the right way in the middle of the game
0: meta thinking thinking about their thinking
1: yeah 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 absolutely and reaction time's gone right there
0: yeah um what comes to mind is that it's not a mental psych- psychology, mental toughness. Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all, one shoes fits all It's very yeah.
1: Um, individualized. Yeah, yeah. and you know, what, what I would say is part of, the, part of the coach's job, part of the player's job is, is to kind of go through that process, kind of go, well, look, you know, how, how, how does your brain communicate with you? What are the typical thoughts you have? What could that be telling you? Just raising that awareness without judgment Is is really helpful. Yeah, there there are there are so many of the kind of psychology books that are very that are very that are too pro positive. It has to be this. You have to visualize yourself winning. You have to visualize yourself doing it. But you don't at all. You have to work out what is important to you personally in terms of the standards that you're holding yourself against. Who's important to you? You know, who am I trying to show up for? It might be me. It might be my coach. It might be my parents. It might be a teammates as soon as we start just unpicking some of that and kind of go cool you're you're very driven by you know um wanting to do a good job for your coach right how do we harness that Mm. or you know you're very self-sufficient you want to show off to yourself right how do how do we make the most of that and as soon as we can get into that we, we stop the judgment that gets in the way of people enjoy enjoying who they are and playing with freedom yeah, you know, and again, soccer, is, you know, the more you've got people playing with freedom, that you're going to get expression out there. You're going to get sort of, you know, enjoyment and energy that comes from that rather than, you know, far too much stuff is about, you know, trying to play without fear and playing without fear, trying to play without fear is very different from giving yourself the opportunity to just play free. Yeah. You know, um, if, if I'm trying to play absent of fear, I'm still very aware of the thing that I'm worried about. I'm not using it as a, as as permission to take some specific actions
0: that reminds me of the part in the book when it talks about stating things in the positive as opposed to here comes the ball don't say don't mess up don't mess up don't mess up don't mess up to be like change it to positive receive the ball well.
1: keep it strong play like you do in practice but you know strong first touch definite you know or you know if there's a name of a player who is your kind of who's your trigger your kind of your role model for that you'd use their name, you know, so Zidane, you know, great, almost the greatest first touch you've ever seen, you know, so Zidane is my, you know, uh, is, is my reference point there as well, or maybe you're a great left footed dribbler. So Messi's your reference point or, you know, um, whoever, whoever it might be, you know, we've got something that creates that positive intent and it's positive intent rather than positive thinking. Yeah. Mm. I intend to be very, you know, um, direct with my action. I know what I'm trying to do. So there's certainty behind things. And, that, and that's, that's, the, that's the great thing with sport. The more certain you are, and if you've delivered with certainty, when you get to evaluate the performance, well, whatever the result, I know I did what I was doing with certainty. And I'm happy to take the result rather than I was hesitant, I was worried, right, I'm now just evaluating a performance that was full of hesitancy and worry, which means it won't have been free. So it's, not going to, it's probably not going to have been as enjoyable and as effective as had I not done that. So we kind of want to get away from some of those situations where you kind of go, look, you know, you love this game. Let's get ready to go out and see what you can find out and learn about yourself rather than you know getting mixed up with the, with the unhelpful thinking that can sometimes happen. And that, I guess that's the biggest distinction I make. I, I just encourage everyone to think about helpful and unhelpful thinking rather yes. than always positive, always negative what's helpful, what's unhelpful, right, let's roll with that. So knowing what you want your outcome to be and then... Yeah, and giving yourself the best chance of, you know, of, of getting there. Um, and and so- soccer's tougher because, it, you know, it's, it's an invasion game, it's open, you know, there's the, you know it's, it's not like golf where you can tee the ball up and you're going to have your close skill. And, you know, the, you know there, there's a lot more challenge because of the dynamism of the game. But equally you spend enough time practicing to be ready to react and respond to, you know, that very sort of, you know, the the open elements of it as well. And, and, you know, the game playing intelligence, the reading of the game, but being able to see patterns emerging so that you know how to take your tactics and use your formation accordingly. It's, it's, it's balancing that beautiful sort of challenge of how's the game developing fluidly, but what's some of the structure that we're trying to use to gain control so it doesn't get, too fluid and it's it's, you know manage managing that balance i think is again that's when you get a good team where they're happy to kind of work out what's going on but they can work out how to get back to their position of strength collectively pretty well from whatever the opposition are doing
0: what advice would you give someone who's wanting to study uh sports psychology that someone who's in the united states now
1: yeah Um, so I, I think generally speaking, you know, there's, there's a lot of great programs, um, across a lot of the universities in the States and it's, it's, very, it's very sort of well-established out there as well. The, um, uh, association for applied sports psychology is a really good sort of uh, professional body to get in touch with and find out what some of the processes are that that you go through. So, um, ASP that's a, that's that's a great organization. Um, and, and, and I would say if you want to get into it, just, just start, rather than becoming a spectator of sport, start becoming an observer of the behavior of people who are involved in the sport. And I'd also say read autobiographies, read interviews, listen, listen to what people are saying about the role that their personality, their minds, their coaches played upon their belief, their confidence, their motivation. I think if you can do a lot of that kind of, personal groundwork and develop your passion for understanding the role that the mind is playing that then sets you up really well for any of the sort of academic study that you'll end up doing going through, you know, at, uh, university then being able to do a master's maybe uh, or, or PhD beyond that or a doctorate beyond that as well. So that, but you know, there's, there's a lot of programs across the States um, where you know there's there's great applied expertise um in america across you know many many years now as well so some really strong programs but um uh, the the association for applied sports psychology is definitely a good place to be looking out um there as well uh from from, uh, from just looking at the pathway and what the recommended pathways would be um so that'd be my main advice
0: great great um then what advice would you have for players right now dealing with the coronavirus who can't get together with their teammates to practice i mean both the collegiate level and below
1: yeah so um i'll, I'll try i'll chase try this because because actually today so adam whose email address you can see on the bottom here adam and i were recording uh, a mental fitness training plan today on exactly that topic um so that's, that's great that you mentioned that because you didn't know that either so that's kind of cool um but we, we were getting into actually, Well, look, what's some of the things that you can do at the moment that you wouldn't actually have time to do normally? How can you use some of this time to, instead of you know, getting on that the process of weekly training, weekly matches, building up through the season, we press pause. Now's a really good time to look back to the beginning of when you started playing and actually do a really good stock take of how far have I come? How have I developed as a player? Physically, how am I better and stronger? And what am I learning about that side of my game? Technically, how's my skill level developing in all the different elements of the skill of the game that I need? Tactically, am, have, am I so you know, if we sat down with a huge piece of paper and we drew a timeline of first first time that you started playing through to now, what would we be plotting about the learning? the physical pathway, the technical pathway? What about the successes that you've had? I'd be be encouraging people to do a really good job of just taking stock and realising how far you've come, realising all the strengths that are in place and then being able to work out, well, how do I want the curve to continue when we get going again? Which areas of my game are strong that I want to make stronger? which areas have been there but have been there in the past but aren't there now that I want to get back to. I'd, I'd be encouraging people to do a lot of that kind of stuff and, and just, carry, just, just use the time to be a student of the game. So if you do want to sort of you know, get some interviews from great coaches about how they set teams up, just start thinking about some of the, you know, the game-playing side of it that as a player perhaps you don't pay so much attention to. You're more focused on your own role in your own position. Mm -hmm. Maybe just take a bit of time to look at the bigger picture and what it is that you're part of, because that will make you a better player going back in. You know, you think about, you know, in Europe, the the sort of um, system that Ajax have had over the years about through their junior programmes, getting all of the young, the youth players to play in different positions as they go up. They get an appreciation for the entire game because they haven't been stuck in one position from a very early age. Yeah, you've got time to do your version of some of that now by kind of getting into the, you know, the the a greater game playing understanding, which I think confidence wise will just mean you're a you know a more valuable team player, more coachable, but also you'll be able to help the coach more as well because you're kind of more on the on, on, on side with them as well. So I think I think those things are kind of pretty key. You know, use the time appropriately. Um, That's, and, and great. So, That's great. That's
0: great. Yeah. Tell, tell me about how you yeah. perform.
1: Uh, So Believe Believe Perform. So Planet K2, that's kind of the company. We do a lot of work in the commercial world as well as sort of, you know, little bits of sport work that carry on as well. Um, Four or five years ago, uh, well, so eight years ago, Adam set up Believe Perform, which is a great online sports psychology platform. So there's loads of sort of stuff on there around um, training plans that you can sort of go through around different elements of sports psychology. It's designed for coaches and athletes and parents. There's hundreds of infographics that are designed to help you kind of get into some of the understanding of sort of, you know, different mindset, different ways of thinking. There's a lot of mental health ingredients on there as well. So how to do the self-care and sort of, you know, manage, um, manage a lot. And there's a lot around student athlete stuff as well. Um, and, and, and students and looking at the academic side of things as well. So believe performance is just a really great platform that Adam's pulled together and that we've been putting more and more content on um, over the over the years as well. And and you know, live content that we're working on today, making it very specific. Uh, it's just a really accessible platform full of loads and loads of different educational tools that you can use. Um and if if anyone listening wants to send an email through to Adam at that email address, let him know you were listening to the podcast and he'll be able to give you a 50% discount on the annual membership. So it, it, it probably end up being about $65 for a year, I think to kind of get access to the, to the full system. For those um,
0: listening, that's Adam.Morris, M-O-R-R-I-S yeah. at BelievePerform.com.
1: Cool. Um, and, and BelievePerform.com as well. If you want to get in touch via there and sort of pick up via, via the podcast too. But yeah, it, yeah. Adam's done a great job of pulling that together. We've got, partnerships developing with usa rugby usa uh, hockey field hockey uh and usa badminton and, and we've just sort of developed uh some conversations with sports aid which is a kind of a, a charity foundation for developing athletes in this country really really great partnerships that, that adam's working with and, and 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 the mental health side of this is, is just particularly relevant at the moment there's loads of very practical information for coaches as well, taking care of coaches' mental health, as well as this being sort of geared for athletes as well. So, just a really great resource, full of loads of practical stuff, um, written by sports psychologists. Um, uh, and yeah, I just encourage people to get get on it and share it, and you know, extract the value because it's 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 way more than the price you'll pay for it.
0: That's pretty much the evolution of this book right yeah know. yeah and, 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 some... and you
1: know so yeah so you know when when steve and i wrote the mental game plan originally in that book we wanted them as kind of workbooks we want we wanted them to feel like stuff that people were going to pick up and use and apply um you know, and adam independently sort of you know back in 2012 started this site up which is very much geared towards well look how can we get sports psychology in the hands of the people who are far more involved than the sports psychologists are yeah, you know, because quite frankly, the coaches and the athletes are the psychologists on the ground every day. Um, and if we can get more of that information and expertise into the everyday conversations, you normalize conversations about the mind. You don't worry about it. You don't go, well, we better not talk about that because it's about your confidence. And we can't talk about confidence because if we do, you'll start losing it. You know, it's kind of, um, we, 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 you know, we don't mind be doing performance analysis and getting all the statistics on gameplay. But... We'd better not do that for someone's personality. Well, actually, you know, let, let's kind of take it in the same vein. And, and you know, it is, you know, this is a very practical working approach to put the psychology in the hands of the people who can use it every day. That's great.
0: That's great. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been it's an honor and a pleasure. Um, I hope to have you on again sometime in the future. And yeah. any last words?
1: Yeah, well ha- happy to come on again. That'd be great. You know, look at uh, look at belief perform. You, you'll have also seen perhaps the performance as well. If you're interested in how some of this stuff applies to kind of stuff you're doing outside of sport and how it applies to work stuff, then then, then go there as well. But yeah, you know, just a delight, Brandon, and thank you for the inf- you know the invitation. And great that you, you you found the book and that it's been useful for you as well. And and for me having, you know, written that getting the chance to talk to someone who has enjoyed using it, it's kind of, you know, that, that's as good as it gets. So it's been, it's been an absolute great. delight. So thank you.
0: Thank you. All right. You have a good evening.
1: You too. You take, take care. care.